0: Welcome to the St. Edward's podcast, a church filled with the Holy Spirit. We hope that today's words will draw you closer to Christ Jesus. You know, the fact that you are here in church this morning, instead of doing something else, sleeping in or whatever, says something about your commitment. You also had the choice of going to church somewhere else today. For many of you, this is not the nearest church building to where you live. In fact, several of you, if not most of you, drive past more than one church on your way here. Of course, I'm delighted and thankful that you worship here. But it is a fact of modern times that you have a selection of churches, each having different worship styles, preaching, fellowship, youth activities, and so forth. All all of them are very different. And some folks do change churches. Something happens, they don't care for it, and so they stop attending and start going somewhere else. They may sample several other churches before settling on the one, and we can understand that, as some of us have done that, for various reasons. But this is a fairly new phenomenon. For most of the existence of the church, such choices were not possible. For 1,500 years of Christianity, Christians in any given area would all have belonged to the same Christian parish. The idea of shopping for a church is just unknown. It wasn't until the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century that things began to change. Well, here we are in the second decade of the 21st century, and we, in our Western culture, are used to choosing. We have choices all over the place. And for most of us, it is not a question of what church is right. It's a matter of what church we prefer, what church fits our needs the best. Churches change, people change, cultural trends change, and our preferences change. And because of that, sometimes we may find ourselves wanting to make the church into something different from what it is or what it was meant to be. You know, our first reading from 1 Samuel chapter 8 speaks about the desire to change, the desire to fit in, the desire to be like others, to be accepted, the desire to follow cultural trends. Last week, we were introduced to Samuel, a young boy who was living in the temple with his caretaker, the high priest Eli. In this week's reading, Samuel has now grown into an old man. He's a prophet and a judge in Israel. And he was a leader of the people. But many of the people did not want Samuel as their leader. His time was coming to an end. And they wanted to be like other nations. They wanted a king. That's what other nations had. They had a king. And Israel wanted a king as well. Well, why didn't Israel have a king? After the exodus out of Egypt, after Moses died... Joshua led the people of Israel into the promised land, and they conquered the land by force, but they never set up a royal family. What they had were judges, not the kind of judges we have in our court system today. These were more leaders who had influence on the people and would rally the country together to defend herself when war was imminent, and there were several of them in the scriptures. Gideon, Deborah, Samson, and others. You can read their stories in the Old Testament book of Judges. One of the last of these judges was Samuel. And the leaders in Israel were ready to move on from this structure, this judge structure. and They wanted a king. But Samuel warned them, saying, this king you want, he's going to take your sons and make soldiers of them. He'll put some to force labor on his farms, plowing and harvesting, and others to make weapons and war of chariots, and he'll use those for the king's luxury. He'll put your daughters to work as beauticians and waitresses and cooks. He'll conscript your best fields and your vineyards. He'll tax your harvests to support his extensive bureaucracy. Your prize workers and best animals he'll take for his own use And he'll lay a tax on your flocks, and you'll end up no better than slaves. But the people, they wouldn't listen to that. They said, no, we will have a king to rule us, and then we'll be just like all the other nations. Our king will rule us and lead us and fight our battles. It wasn't necessarily wrong that they wanted a king. In fact, in the Torah... There were laws already set up for when Israel would want a king. That's way back in Deuteronomy chapter 17. They knew this would happen. So it wasn't so much that they wanted a king, but their motive is what is of concern. They wanted to be like all the other nations. Well, how? They wanted a person to rule them. They wanted this person to lead them into battles. So, under the old system, who ruled them? God. Under the old system, who led them into battle? It was the Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of God. The people wanted Israel to look like other nations. It was basically a rejection of God. Which is why God said to Samuel in our reading, They have not rejected you. But they have rejected me from being king over them. Now, the same attitude sometimes can creep into the church. You see, the church was birthed at Pentecost, a gathering of the people of God to worship God in spirit and in truth, a place for different kinds of people to come together, to remember the sacrifice of the Lord through the sacraments, to follow the teaching of the apostles, to pray together, and to be a witness in the community around them. The church is the body of Christ in and to the world, and we are witnesses of the events of Jesus and the move of the Holy Spirit. But oftentimes, the church takes on other tasks, as some want to make the church like a political action coalition, or to make the church more like a social work agency or a charity. Should the church be like a retreat center or, or maybe a school? Perhaps the church should be a business. That way we'll, get, we'll be more efficient and get more things done. Well, none of these things are inherently wrong. Some may be part of the vision for a church community, but they are not the purpose. They are not the objective. In the end just as Israel's best route would have been to remain unique and not like all the other nations, so the church's best route is to remain what Christ calls us to be, and that is his body in this world. But this isn't just a church problem or just a problem in the history of Israel. We, too, as individuals, as families, face the pressure in our lives. Peer pressure is not just something teenagers face at the local school. We all face peer pressure. And it comes in the mold of cultural pressure, political pressure, financial pressure, to keep up with the Joneses, to live the American dream, to not look like a failure in the eyes of the world's standards, to fit in when we come to church, To adapt. What changes do we make because we want to be like them? What choices do we decide on because we don't want to stand out? This is called crowd control. You know, usually the word crowd control is the method of making sure that a large crowd does does not get out of hand. But the term may also refer to the control a crowd can wield over an individual, crowd control. Many years ago, there was a carnival daredevil whose nickname was the cannonball. In his younger days, he was blasted out of a cannon 1,200 times. When asked why he did this, he replied, do you know what it's like to feel the applause of 60,000 people? That's why I did it. That's crowd control. Crowds can have influence on us, whether in politics, culture, or at church. Crowd control is powerful. Once there was a spider who built a beautiful web in an old house, and he kept it clean and shiny so that flies would fly into it. The minute he got a fly, he would eat them right away so the other flies would not get suspicious. And then one day, this fairly intelligent fly came buzzing by the clean spider's web. Old Man Spider called out, Come in and and sit. But the fairly intelligent fly said, No, sir. I don't see other flies in your house, and I'm not going in alone. Then something on the floor caught his eye a large crowd of flies dancing around on a piece of brown paper. He was delighted. He was not afraid if lots of flies were doing it, so he came in for a landing, but just before he landed, a bee zoomed by and said, don't land there. That's fly paper. But the fairly intelligent fly shouted back, oh, don't be silly. Those flies are dancing. There's a big crowd down there, and everybody's doing it. That many flies can't be wrong. Well, you know what happened. He died on the spot. So many people make decisions and want changes purely on the influence of a crowd. What does it profit a fly or a person if he escapes the web only to end up in the glue? You might escape the webs of life and end up in a much more sticky situation. And that's what happened to Israel. They ended up with 42 kings over the course of 450 years. The Holy Scripture only describes a handful as good kings out of that 42. What Samuel predicted came true. They ended up with a lot of bad kings that eventually split the nation and led them into weakness and eventual invasion. And we too make mistakes because of peer pressure, cultural pressure, and so forth. But even despite our failures, despite the mess we create, despite the sticky situations we find ourselves in, God's grace is still there. The thread of grace runs through Israel's history, through her story, Even though God gave them a king, he was eventually removed. And God raised up a man to whom he would make an extraordinary promises to. And that was King David. And those promises are fulfilled in the New Testament in Jesus himself. Because in King Jesus, we have the true king who took upon himself the folly and shame of those who went before. He's from that same lineage. God took the bad decisions of Israel and worked it to good. God can take our bad decisions, our misguided ideas, our sticky mess, and turn them to the good. Hear the promises of God in Isaiah chapter 43. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Isaiah 65. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. And in the words of St. Paul from Romans chapter 8, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. God is so powerful that he can use our bad decisions and still point us toward Jesus. This, my friends, is grace, sovereign grace. The bad news is that we make mistakes. There's not a perfect person in here. The good news is that God's grace is there through those mistakes. Whatever baggage you carried in here today whatever mistakes you brought in here with you. I know it's not easy, and often we carry the guilt of our mistakes. We carry the weight of those bad decisions that we've made in life. But God's grace is here to meet you. He is ready to do a new thing. Repent and receive his grace today. And by doing so, You will glorify God, which is the very reason we gather together on this day, the Lord's day. To God be the glory. Amen. Thank you for joining us in this conversation today. We will continue to pray that our teachings are impacting you for the kingdom of God. If you'd like to learn more about our community, You can find us on stedwardsepiscopal.com or on Facebook. And of course, we'd love for you to visit us in beautiful Mount Dora. May God's grace fill you as you go in peace.